0: push fit podcast in full effect these guys we have our returning guests we have damien tavars and we have garrett smalls in the building we are here right back for our real estate um i guess episode two part two
1: Part here for two.
0: part two. I mean, I'm glad. I'm glad these guys were able to come back from their busy schedules. I mean, Dame's over here being a doctor, trying to save lives <laughs> and shit. And then we have our top sale, one of the youngest top sales on his squad. Like you got it. You got a war for that, right? Last time, right?
1: Yeah, back in February, man. But I need another one coming up. Oh, so. you got? oh, you getting another one? <laughs> no, I need another one. Okay, okay. So how,
0: how does that work? How does that work? I just need to outsell everybody. Again. Okay, bad. <laughs> bad, 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 bad. okay, okay, bet. All right, so we're we're just gonna kick it off like this, like basically we had some we had some fan questions. We'll get into that later on in the show. Um, they had some questions for each of y'all individually. Uh, we'll just get into that later. And so um, we kind of left off on like you guys were talking, dropping a lot of great gems. Um, we I don't know where we really left off, but I know what we didn't cover. So um, we'll just start off with basically um, for you, Dame. How do you kind of structure your deals? Like, how, when you're starting off with your deals, how do you kind of, like, structure them? Like, what, like, if, okay, let me kind of, let me get a little bit more specific. Um, so, when you're you're talking to an ad just seller, they want to um, sell it to you, um, how do you go about, like, starting your deals off? So,
2: uh, for me, and I think anybody that, like, wants to be successful in real estate, not just maybe get their foot in, that may be a different, different answer. But if you really want to, like, take it to the highest level it can be, I try to gear myself towards anything that the seller needs, right? So some people need a quick cash purchase. Some people want, you know, some type of terms, longer, longer, um, extended terms over time, they end up getting more money. Mm-hmm. So like the way that you structure the deal, the way that I structure the deal is to meet the seller's needs, mm-hmm. um, or to meet the situation's needs. If the, if it's not like just the seller, but just to make sure that I'm prepared, I got a couple different options. I'm sure we're going to go over them. Mm-hmm. Um, that I try to be prepared for when it comes to investing and when it comes to acquiring properties. And uh, that's the first way you gotta structure it, how you can meet someone else's needs. And then the other part, of course, is how you can maximize your profit. Mm-hmm. So those two combined is how, uh, how I start off.
0: And then you guys, can, you guys can probably both touch on this, but a lot of people, well, when you're selling to someone, when you're trying to pitch to someone or however you're starting off um a lot of people i know i had trouble in um overcoming objections so yeah. like what's what kind of some tips and like overcoming <laughs> objections and like you know you you he touched on like some things he touched on some things last time when you kind of have to have like tough skin in this business mm-hmm. you got to be able to handle the no but kind of go around it to still get to the the greater goal. So, how? Does, so, what is some things like about um, overcoming rejection that you guys kind of have?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so, actually, someone posted on the real estate uh, Facebook group that there was on uh, Facebook about her question was, "How do you handle handle being told no?" Mm-hmm. And she was like, uh, "You know, I'm having a tough time with a rejection. I'm getting told no. It shuts me down." And one of the best comments I saw on there was, "Get told no a thousand times." You know what I mean? You're gonna get told no. Look for no. If anything, in my opinion, um, you know, of course, handling objections is one thing, but the client being honest, rejecting you up front might save you a lot of time. I know there's some clients that I've spent six months trying to follow up with just to find out that they did not need my service or have went another route. That's six months that you know I'm never getting back of you know I probably spent a minute or so here and there making that phone call. But you know, you're gonna get told no. All the time the faster you accept it the quicker you can move straight onto that next door that next client that next deal um, and handling objections I mean you're gonna get better with the more you uh, you know more you go through um, you're gonna get so many different scenarios and problems that people are having and the more of those you get you're gonna start finding your way of handling that same issue over and over and over and over because at some point they all connect mm-hmm. you know
0: so what do you feel day
2: yeah I mean at the end you kind of Um, We're like leaning towards what I was going to say, definitely pay attention to what works. Um, When it comes to objections, you know, it does take experience. Uh, Of course, there's like scripts and stuff that that I go over with anybody that, you know, I'm partnering with or that, um, you know, I'm on the phones working with and stuff like that. So there is like a form of guideline that you could follow that that usually works. Mm -hmm. Um, But when it comes to objections, for me, it's like knowing what works and what doesn't being as personable as you can be, not sounding like a robot or anything. And then also just knowing like sales, sales and negotiations. Mm. Um, you know, I've read a couple books, I've done plenty of sales training. I think people forget that portion, you know, they're like, oh, I want to be in real estate or I want to buy real estate. It's a sale. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a, it's a two way sale. So mm. if you really want to be good at it, study negotiations, study the sales process, study sales in general um because at the end of the day you are selling something whether it's your service like Gary does or it's yourself or if you're just selling your ability to to buy the house you know what I mean you're selling it so that's what i really focused on when i wanted to be good at objections i just tried to be like the same, the best salesperson i could be so um, and most people think you only need to sell you need to study sales if you're selling cars or nothing but that's not the case at all mm-hmm. if you want to be good at like investing or Buying houses, you need to study sales the same way, mm-hmm. because most of your interactions will be like a, a sales experience.
0: And do you have like a certain? Do you have like a certain example that you could like give give to the people that like that you were in a place where the sellers told you no, mm-hmm. but you found a way to overcome that.
2: Um, I mean that happens all the time. Yeah. <laughs> well, for the most part, they tell you no about the price, mm. right? Um, and then. In that element, you need to figure out what their why is, um, what they're really looking for in the experience, You know why they told you no and, and what their reasoning was. And then on top of that, you need to make sure that you're staying in a, in a certain frame and a certain point of negotiation. I mean, I don't, that's like a full podcast itself, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? But that's the most basic example. It's just the person. They tell you no most of the time. You rarely get that yes on the price the first time. Mm-hmm. And then um, on top of that, some people just tell you no as far as just dealing with you, because they say, oh, you're an investor, you're gonna lowball me no, right? And then you could, easy objection for that is no. I follow regular, normal uh, market value. I offer the best price I can offer and I keep it fair. I'm a fair person. I, you seem like a fair person as well. We can both see if this works out for both of us. If not, we can go our separate ways. Um, it's kind of like the push-pull method. Like it's, it's all related. And you get no's all the time, and there's always, like, a good objection for it. It doesn't always work but you know I mean there's always something
0: I feel comfortable I feel comfortable just for you saying that yeah me. I want to sell you my house now <laughs> I feel that, like I feel <laughs> bad yeah
1: I know just being involved you know too. you know right. and, uh, one thing especially like with learning real estate the classes teach you nothing you get through real estate school you're not gonna go out there knowing anything about the business just being involved you know you out there and getting rejected you're gonna start learning your ways around those. just like you said find that why um, I feel like the moment you figure out what their motivation is, if they have any, that's going to give you all the power you need to start extracting those little uh, corners out of them to proceed with that objection. Mm. Um, because when you think about it, nobody really wants to be sold on anything, mm. but they have a, uh, a reason behind your know, need money or, uh, and a specific need. And it's really just about locating that need. Um, and everyone has one. You know, if someone comes to my front door and offers me something, you know, throws a pitch, just like you said, not selling just like a, like a salesman. You know, no one wants to really hear a pitch. If you <laughs> sound like a robot on the phone or right. something, you know, getting personable, um, you know, relating to that client any way that you can. Um, it's going to make a huge difference. But really the biggest thing, I think, on objection handling is just um, get in the game, you know, get in there, and start making an experience and putting yourself out there.
0: And then you had talked about saying like you followed up with somebody for like six months, right? Mm-hmm. And so how do you know when it's just like, well, I'm guessing you kind of feel you kind of like feel it, but how do you know when you're like being if you're being too consistent okay. on something, knowing like, all right, this person might not, know, right. rock with me or might not, might not, I don't want to. Like, you know, no, they no, might no. not, you know, you, they might not they might not just want to deal with you. So how, how do right. you know if you're being too consistent? Is there any is there such thing as being too consistent?
1: So, you know, for example, like if a new lead comes in, um, us personally, you know, we like to try to touch those people for at least 14 days. And, you know, if We're not hearing anything back at least 14 days of reaching out, send text, just let them know like, hey, I'm here to help if you don't need my help. All right. But the last thing I want to do is not be there if you needed me. You know what I mean? And sometimes people have busy schedules. Sometimes during the day when I call them, they're busy. So, you know, if it doesn't work in the morning, that next day, maybe try afternoon. If not afternoon, try that evening. Shoot a text. Some people don't want to talk on the phone with you. Um, But, you know, usually after a certain amount of time, you're going to start... And also, like, even when you start speaking to people that you are nurturing, some people that I keep up with, I just close a deal. I've worked with this lady for a year straight, um, you know, just slowly over time, taking care of them, answering questions for them, guiding them to their next steps. But you'll slowly, like I said, just being involved and getting more, you know, helping other people, um, you're going to start realizing those that are going to be making moves and who's not just by conversation. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like that, too, um, is going to save people a lot of time, at least for myself, because when I first started... I was trying to talk to everybody as much as I could, just wasting all my time with some people who were never going to buy anything. And so I started picking up on the little nuances that gave me signs. Yeah, so you know I'll put them on a watch where, like, I have an automatic email that I reach out to them, you know, once a month. Hey, you need anything? I'm here. I'm not going to bother you, but
0: is there any such thing as in in like the field that you're in? Is there any such thing as being too consistent?
2: I would say that for like a general advice no there's there's nothing there's no such thing as being too consistent but there is an art in like striking while while the iron's that's hot right. um, because like knowing when that person is their motivation is at the highest or uh, their interest is at the highest that can take you a long way as far as just being like overly too consistent if you're a bother to them or if they express that they don't want you to follow up as consistent as you've been then that's when you need to dial back. Um, But for me, in my experience, a lot of people respect the consistency. Um, And I feel like more people respect the consistency than people who dislike it. So Mm -hmm. although they may may be like, wow, this guy hits me up like every other day. But okay, if I do end up selling, it is going to be the him. Mm -hmm. Um, As opposed to you just trying to do guesswork as far as when should I hit him up? Should I wait a week? Should I wait a little bit? You're better off just getting... Your consistent self going, pick the schedule yourself, whether it's daily, if the motivation is like medium to hot, um, scale it back if the motivation is low. Like if somebody tells me they're not going to sell for three months, I don't have the time in my day to be texting and calling that person every day, right? right. They're not ready right. to sell. Yeah. <laughs> but if somebody tells me, you know, I've been thinking about it, I think I'm ready, I'm going to call you every day until you tell me yes or no. So, yeah. There is a, a gauge as far as um, kind of the degree of the lead and of the situation, but I don't think there's anything... You can't ever be too consistent unless the person expresses, like, tries to push you away a little bit. Yeah. That's when you just dial back, and then... And sometimes even they with, just need that push. Yeah, sure. yeah. Even with that, like, if the person pushes me away, I do give them that, like, immediate that space. I'll give them the moment that we agreed on. But if I don't hear back, I'm following up again. Right. Like, I know you right. said you didn't need me to follow up with you for a little bit, but I just wanted to make sure. Right. Um, last, the worst thing they could do is tell you, you know, never call me again. And that's never really happened to me. The only things that's ever really happened is someone may be like, look, man, you've called me every week for the past <laughs> four months. I'm just not ready. And then they usually end up saying, this is the day you need to call me. And you only get that because you followed up so consistently.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But then, have you ever had one of those that you're just like, oh, I followed up for so long, but then they're just like, nah, still. Oh, all the time. All the time. All the time. I
2: follow up with people for so long, but then I've gotten like...
0: Really good deals off of that. I've gotten, yeah,
2: probably... Yeah, I've gotten like um, some of my biggest deals from just being consistent over months and months. Mm-hmm. You know, what I mean, just building that relationship with people
1: for a long time. Okay. That's okay. All it is build yeah. relationships. They like to uh, call it just panning for gold. You're always gotta be in that river panning for gold, man. The moment you get out of there, you're gonna stop, you know, getting those gold nuggets and. Uh-huh. Um, I think it's just all about you know being there. You're going through a lot of rubbish. You're going through a lot of rubbish, but uh, that one gold nugget makes it all worth it.
0: Okay, I mean? so. that makes sense. So I'll get back into you know the the aspect of you know structuring your deals. Okay, so we well I'll get into the the closing part since I had somebody ask me that. So we have um, double closing. We have dream right. ventures and um, what do we have? What's the what's the last one, Dave? We have double closing like wholesale. Yes. Uh, yes. Okay. Double closings, joint ventures, and then I'm missing one. But we can talk. We can just talk about how um, double closings and like joint ventures, and when do you when you actually need them?
2: Okay, so for double closing, I'm gonna look that um, up. I think you will start to need them more now. But essentially, you have to you either have a lot of money or you take out a short term hard money loan. Mm -hmm. Um, The hard money loan has a high interest rate, right? Because it's only supposed to be money that's lended out for usually a year or less. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes even less than that six months. sometimes people get hard money loans for the day. That's technically a double close mm-hmm. but it can extend up to as long as you need it. Um, but essentially a double close is you borrow money. like I said it's very high interest rate but it's because you have so much space and profit. you mm-hmm. borrow the money, you close on the house and you turn around and sell it immediately. You may already have but most of the times you're going to want to already have the seller. That person that you're selling it to, um, so like again, you're not having that money lent it out for long. Um, the the rates can vary, um, and then I think like a joint venture is more so. I mean that's kind of a general term, but you could it's essentially just partnering with someone Partner, on yeah. a deal it's like not really
0: that. A close, but it's still um, it's still it's, that's not really a clo- close. It's just like it's just a way partnership. to structure a deal. Yeah, it's just okay. like
2: um, Garrett knows the seller, but I know a buyer. So we're going to joint venture on a deal. He's going to talk to the seller. I'm going to talk to the buyer. We're going to sandwich together. Um, and then the other form maybe of a joint venture is kind of like, if I hit back on the hard money lending or the the loans in real estate, Mm -hmm. you could actually like have somewhat of a joint venture with a lender, whether it's like a a institution, uh, a corporation, a bank, or if it's just like an an individual who's a lender, Mm -hmm. you may say, Garrett may have a million dollars in his pocket. And he may say, "Hey, I want to do a joint venture with you. Go out, find us some houses. We're gonna flip them with my million dollars. That's our joint venture. It's my money. It's your work. That's the, you that's know, JV structure. agreement. Yeah. And then we'll split the profit. So yeah. that's also another form of a joint venture."
0: And so those hard money, those hard money loans. Do you, if you, does the interest go up if you have them for more than a year? Okay. All right. Let me let me see. How I wanted to structure that question. Cause I, it was it was something about that. That i wanted to touch on so that interest dang i wanted to touch on how that interest how that interest works so if you have it because usually when you're looking to wholesale or something you probably want to have it for like at least like a month like or less right
2: the contract or the loan the loan the loan out so if you're wholesaling you don't need to take out a hard money loan most of the time yeah wholesaling is essentially you already have the buyer before the closing date so you just collect the fee or the difference between the original contract and the new seller, the new buyer's contract, you're just in the middle. And you collect that amount at the closing date. Um, so basically the buyer that you assign the contract to or wholesale the contract to, mm-hmm. he'll bring his money to the closing date, mm-hmm. to the closing table as they call it, but that's old school. You don't have to be there. Mm-hmm. He'll bring his money. He'll wire it in on the day of closing the, title company or the the, the closing attorney will give the seller their portion of the money and then they'll say, okay, there's $10,000 left. That's yours. That's an assignment fee Mm -hmm. or, you know, a wholesale fee. So you don't need a hard money loan for that. The only time you need a hard money loan, well, there's more than one time, but the times you need a hard money loan are if you have to close on the property first before you can sell it to the next person. There's a lot of reasons for that. Mm -hmm. Um, Or if you need it, if you can't, sell it to the buyer on the same day. There's like a lot of reasons for that, whether they they can't buy it that day, maybe they're out of state, like different stuff like that. Mm. And, and then another reason is if you're making a large sum of money and you don't want both parties to, to know it. how much you're okay. making, then you would want to take out a hard money loan, go ahead and close on the property with the first person, and then you have possession of it, whether it's for an hour, a day, a year, then you close on it with the second person and you sell it. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a big reason. That's probably one of the main reasons that anybody who does like as is flips or wholesales. That's one of the main reasons they use hard money lenders is because they don't want mm-hmm. um, they don't want the each party to know
0: exactly what the price is on the other end. Because they are pro- they could probably look at it and say, "Well, you're getting too much off of me," or something like that.
2: Yeah, those they'll either say, "I don't like how much money you're making," or they'll just be uncomfortable with the fact that you're giving the property away from somebody else, right? Right. Like in our business, you know, there is a lot of um, like trust and just like, not like beyond relationship building, but just the fact that like people like simplicity, right? Mm -hmm. So if I approach you and say, hey, I'm gonna buy your house, and then I decide to wholesale it or assign it away, you were comfortable with me buying it, but now you see I'm giving it away and you're like, what's going on here? I don't know about that. Like, I'm not comfortable with that. You know, that's fine. I'll close on the property with you, with a hard money lender. Mm-hmm. That's the end of it for you. Mm-hmm. You won't hear anything else. Then I might turn around and sell it to another buyer, and you won't be involved. Right. But when it comes to a wholesale or an assignment, all three parties are pretty much involved at the same time. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, assignment. Okay, mm-hmm. bad. And then, can I? All right, let me right, uh, I'm going to ask you about this technique again. Um, so if I have a property on an LLC obtained by a realtor can I sell that LLC with like with the property is that is that a way to get around like um, because you know you can't um, you can't assign um, you can't assign the property if you're working with a realtor right you can you can yeah you can okay so what so what am I thinking of I can't do something with working with like a realtor
2: so that's actually like a it's a misunderstanding oh, okay. in uh, wholesales and like real estate you can assign properties that um, you've or contracts that you've gotten through realtors as long as it's in the contract okay now there are a lot of there are a lot of especially we're in North Carolina anybody who's watching there's a lot of um, like the basic North Carolina. Um, typical contracts that realtors use that have a clause in it that say you can't assign, it. assign it yeah so if your contract says that or if you don't negotiate for that, everything's negotiable if you don't negotiate for that to be taken out then that would be an instance where you either a can not assign it or b you can by just using a hard money lender mm-hmm. so you could that would be an instance like if the realtor and the seller were just 100 percent no no assignments at all mm. but it's still a good deal Then you'd bring in a hard money lender, you'd say, you'd look at the realtor and say, No problem, I'll close on the property myself And you'd close on it with a hard money loan and then you've already have your your buyer that you're selling it to Mm -hmm. ready to go. Have you ever dealt yeah. with
1: that? Yeah, they make it aware in the MLS that it's an assignment contract. Yeah. You know, when, so when you're looking at that property, um, they will have it in the description for agent remarks. You know, this is an assignment contract. And mm-hmm. make it aware. So people do know that okay. when they're going into it, which is nothing wrong with it. You know, it's you're still getting the deal. If the numbers make sense, then it's not a problem at all. Right. Just understand that it's an assignment contract. Yeah. You're not buying it directly from this one person. Right. You know, so.
0: And I. That's what I meant, the assignment clause, not the actual realtor itself, the assignment clause. So if it does have an assignment clause, say I have an LLC, right, and I have the property signed to the LLC, couldn't I just sell the LLC with the property to get around the assignment clause? Get what I'm saying?
2: I do, and you could, um, but of course that would be like, that would be... Just more work? I wouldn't even say more work, you just want to make sure you do it right um you know i'm not the best with like accounting or anything as far as like you know LLCs and business structure and stuff like that but that that would lean more into that and you would have to make sure that you do it right mm-hmm. so that the property and only the property comes with the llc and you get all the rights to the property in case you were to ever go to sell of the property outside of the llc um then you wouldn't want to run into any issues so that would be more like a business structure you know i don't i'm, I'm not like of course i'm not like the most in tune with with all that mm. but it can be done and i have heard of it being be done. done okay yeah i've heard of it being done for sure
0: okay i didn't know if it was something in that that we you could do or if it was like kind of like a tricky situation but um and i'm going to skip over to this um in this real estate age how has the digital age kind of affected the market like how, how do you feel um as far as social media and Everything being digital now, like you don't really have to be at, like you said, don't have to really be at the closing tables now. Has that really like affected real estate as a whole?
1: You mean more just more like technology being involved? With yeah. It is, um, I mean this is the new that's the era we're in. You know, um, buyers and sellers are more educated than they've ever been. You know, it's changed everything mm-hmm. for sales. Uh, you know, and car sales and real estate. You know, you go from where they relied on door to door going out and meeting that person and. Um, it changes everything. I mean, you got to think, buyers now can look up and learn anything. And so, you know, when you're meeting with these people, uh, you know, especially the millennial age, that they are just as educated as you are for the most part. They'll mm. know what's going on, they're not lacking a lot of knowledge. And um, also, sellers are doing all their own research online. And so, I don't think it's a bad thing at all. Um, I think you just had to adapt for those that came from the era without the technology. It's been a huge change up for them. Um, but you know people like myself at my age um, you know I grew into it so I don't know any other way mm. uh, but I don't think it's been a bad thing I think it's been the best thing that could ever happen to sales um, mm. it's exploded everything into diversity of being able to get your hands on so much mm. um, I made a big difference so
0: it's so how does the, how does the market look right now just like right now versus the past like as far as like you know, buyers and buying and selling right now. How does the market look right now in North Carolina in general? I mean, market's hot. I mean, we're in the hottest market
1: we've ever seen before. Um, there is such a huge lack of inventory. Um, you know, there is a very low supply that where you know buyers are looking for homes, and it's so hard to supply that demand right now. It's um, sellers are benefiting majorly from a lot of equity they're getting out of this, but. You know, a lot of people still want to sell, but the people, some people that want to sell, they don't know where to go. You know, they're going to be joining the buyers' group that are out here, you know,
0: fighting this war
1: trying to get into their their houses that they're buying. Um, man, it's the hottest market
0: we've ever seen. Wait, what? What is? Is there anything that's changing on your side as well? Is there anything different?
2: Um, the the market's definitely uh, hot. Um, some people call it a seller's market just because they have um, somewhat still of an advantage. Um, but like he said, you know, a lot of sellers end up, do becoming buyers. So it does kind of even out essentially, but, um, North Carolina in general, it's growing so fast, uh, so many neighborhoods, so many cities, towns that are growing. Uh, it just makes our market like definitely top tier when it comes to turnover. So whether you're buying or selling, like there's a lot going on, it's not a stagnant market at all. It's definitely like a revolving door and you know, in every way. Um, for me it makes more activity available uh, because if it was a slower market or if there was uh, less turnaround then that would mean that there was less development less flips um, just people staying in place for longer periods of time so it would be a slower game it would be more of a long-term game mm-hmm. we, we of course there's always space for the long term but okay. we have space for the quick turnaround as well mm-hmm. which does help investors does help guys like me when we're, when we're looking to flip or when we're looking to yeah. make, you know, shorter term investments. Not not every market calls for that. So All
0: Right. And so being that the market um is I guess is is booming and then we have like, okay, we have Apple coming to the triangle and Raleigh, what does that actually mean for the market? I know that's high, but is that like a good thing for somebody that's trying to um Wholesale wholesale a property or somebody that's looking to buy like is that like is this a good thing? Yeah I mean just picking back on
1: what he said, you know, like, uh, you know, there's so much growth going on You got think even like Rock Hill for instance has the Panthers headquarters. That's coming out. I mean growth is good I mean change is good growth is good Um, Values are gonna continue rising, you know, it's not looking like any shortage of uh, this slowing down anytime soon um and like a lot of that like i said does come with the amount of people that are pouring into the carolinas a lot of people are directly coming to charlotte being such the you know the biggest main central of the carolinas um i think a lot of people are seeing you know how you know you're in charlotte you gotta think that you're you're three hours from the beach you're about two hours from the mountains country's in your back door you've got the main city so you've got people from the west north all of them coming down south and so there's just a lot of growth coming to here in this area so all the change that's coming is great it's going to be great for the values um for for more jobs, more opportunities. Um I mean there's nothing really to complain
0: about there, I don't think. Do you, do you think uh other than the the busy traffic, people coming down from all over <laughs> this from all I joke with uh people from New York all the time, they just can't freaking drive worth. They can't drive at all. But like people from all over coming around, that is a good that yeah. is a good thing for the market though, but does that i mean that helps right i mean just people just wanting to come here that helps the market as well Mm -hmm. okay i
2: Uh, I would say like it definitely does help the values but it doesn't help like the local man who wants to take advantage of of being where he's from you know what i mean because the quicker unless you can act just as quick as the growth Mm -hmm. and not everyone could do that so let's just say someone's sitting sitting at home and they're like i want to buy a house in raleigh i've lived here or charlotte i've lived here my whole life but by the time I can afford to buy a house now, the houses will be worth double this because people from New York and everywhere else keep moving here. So it's like, it is good for the market if you have the chance to take advantage of it quickly. But if, you're, if you don't get a chance to get in, you'll end up not benefiting from the growth and you'll end up having to be like on the back end, trying to hope that there's more growth later so um, like you, you see a lot, of lo- a lot of local people who really like have a bad taste in their mouth about the growth and about people moving here all the time. And it's because they, they, they're not in a position to take advantage of it now. You'd yeah. have to be in that position in order for it to be good for you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, it's good for the market in general, but it's not good for individuals unless they can, they're in a position where they can React set themselves up now. Like you gotta be ahead of the curve. You have to buy a house now, let people move, move to North Carolina for the next 10 years, and then you'll benefit from it. You know what I mean? You mm-hmm. can't live here the whole 10 years and then try to buy a house later mm-hmm. and hope that you'll benefit from it. It's not, it doesn't, you know, there's a, a divide there.
0: It's a bigger, it's a bigger gamble mm-hmm. if you do that than anything that makes perfect sense. Yeah. And so I'm going to get into these uh fan questions uh, real quick. And <laughs> these actually, these actually were some uh, good fan questions that people really, um, they watched the, the last podcast and they really enjoyed John they w- wanted your input on it so first appreciate y'all I wanted to uh, <laughs> ask uh, should I sell my current property before buying a new one mm, that's a good question
1: well I mean you gotta ask the question is can you buy another house with your current property under your name you know what I mean um, All right. are you able to qualify for Um, not making your house contingent on the sale, and it it answers that entire question. Um, If you can buy another house without selling your house, um, it's gonna make it a lot easier on you. Mm -hmm. Um, Not saying that it can't be done, Uh, we're we're doing it every single day, but if you have to sell your house to buy a house, then you you get to completely strategize based on having to do that. Um, And so, I mean, yeah, it, it depends on how long you've had that house. I'm sure they probably got great equity in it. They're probably really tempted to do so, But just understand, you know, if it's a must-have right now, you know, understand you're jumping back in that buyer pool. What's your next steps?
0: Mm -hmm. It makes sense. Um, How many houses should I view before purchasing one? I've had clients fall in love with the very first house that they've seen. Um,
1: I've had clients that has took 25 plus homes to see the one they want, and so I don't, (laughs) you know, I I think it really. I tell every client, guys, like you know, I'll show you one. I'll show you a thousand when you walk into the house that you want, you're gonna fill it. You know, I actually had a client today that was, uh, we walked into a property, we actually, we've seen three so far together. And we, her husband wasn't present. She called him and told him that she liked it. He said, go ahead and place a bid. I was like, you like it? Do you love it? You know, and she's like, well, you know, this thing, and I know he's gonna not like this, but you know, like, at least it's better than nothing. And I'm like, okay. Six months from now, if you close on this house, I don't want you to you know, come up to me saying, you know, I should have got this. I-, I settled, you know? So you're going to know if you love the house. And I feel like, even tell our buyers like, yeah, it's a crazy market, but don't feel like you have to settle. You know what I mean? You're going to get a house. I think right. really, if you're, if, you're, if you're patient and persistent and staying at it, you're going to find the house you love and you're going to get it. And forbid it. A lot of times right now, people are falling in love with the house and make an offer and they lose it. It breaks their hearts. Guess
0: what? There's always another house. Right. You'll love another one. I right. Promise. Exactly. <laughs> when is, when do you feel like when do you see this real estate boom end?
1: So this is a good topic. Um, you know, we're hearing this, uh, everybody's saying it's a bubble that we're that we're in right now, and that a lot of people are uh, questioning: Is this bubble gonna burst? And. Um, I think we have to really just, like, look back on history as to why, like, these words have been stuck to us. Um, You know, we look back in the early 2000s when we had that crash, and it kind of trained people's minds into hearing crash, you know, seeing this same kind of trend going on. But if you look back at, like, just the facts, a lot of evidence proves that this is not a housing market bubble. It's not really looking like there's going to be a crash or some kind of burst where prices just start crashing down everybody everybody's gonna be able to buy a house again. Believe it or not, now more than ever, in double decades, um, housing is more affordable than it's ever been. It really is. Even despite the spikes in prices that we're seeing, there has never been rates so low. They are still under 3%. Oh, wow. You know, my current property I bought back in, uh, you know, I built it four years, brand new construction. It was a first-time um, home buyer loan. I have a 4.75 interest rate. That was a two, 229000 uh, mortgage is 1500 that same rates right now I could buy a three hundred fifty thousand dollar house no oh, wow! Um, if I were to be able to get the rate that I have at this very second um, I'm sorry like the rates that they're providing right now but the thing about how much money is being you know left on the table you've got a lot of people saying well I'm gonna wait for this to crash and then buy." well you know say it does crash you understand that rates are gonna completely change it's almost like you're stepping over dollars to save dimes at that point mm-hmm. There's a lot of uh, longevity equity there to be looking at. I don't think it's worth waiting. If you want to buy, buy. It's not, I, was, I tell everybody, it's not a, a bad time to buy, it's just a hard time to buy and that's mm-hmm. okay. Um, you know, but, but you're looking back on history where into early 2000s, what really caused that crash and you start off with, you know, the foundations of loans, how that was structured. I mean, you gotta think at that point, there were so many undocumented loans Um, Not providing proof of income. I mean people could get loans so easy Um, and That all defaulted back on them and lenders and major corporations with you know home loans have had to be forced to adapt To new lending statuses. I mean, it's nowhere in comparison now So the foundation has been completely rebuilt on that lending aspect to where buyers are qualified that are buying homes Um, and so it doesn't look it's gonna be slowing down anytime soon. I think rather than a bubble burst. We're gonna be seeing more of, of Hopefully at some point it catches up and when it does I'm gonna be so happy my income's gonna double I'm going to be able to get so many more buyers in the homes, right. but I don't
0: really see this being like a crash Okay. And so I then I have a couple of uh, investor questions as well. What marketing campaigns are best for new investors?
2: Um, well To me the best marketing campaigns for new investors are the cheapest Um, when you're a new investor you're still trying to figure out what works for you and what works for the market that you're in so i've seen guys with a lot of money um, who have money like sources outside of real estate and they think okay well i'm just gonna do what i think is the hottest or the best and they just come in and maybe the most expensive marketing piece but they got the money to spend um, and they're very, very green and very new, so they just come in spending, spending money and they end up blowing a lot of money and not getting a lot of properties or deals. So to me, the best um, campaigns for new investors are the cheapest. So that's just the basic networking. Um, that's, you know, maybe texting campaigns and calling campaigns if you have time. Um, mailing is not too expensive if you do have some money. Uh, and then after that, everything else like, PPC and Google ads and stuff. Those are the more expensive ones. So I would say just the basics like networking Um, Maybe if you can afford to text campaign or to call campaign do some calling those would be the best for someone new
0: and Another one would be how do I start finding leads for my first deal?
2: That's a very general question, but, I mean, I get what they're, what they're, get, what they're going. Um, to find leads, you need to find a lead source. So you need to figure out what your budget is. Uh, I encourage a lot of people to start on websites like uh, PropStream, um, Realtor.com, Zillow, kind of. But uh, and on a lot of these sites, you can either find, like, expired listings, which is a somewhat of a motivated person. If they tried to list it with a realtor, but it didn't work out. Either they listed it too high or the house maybe just needed work and no one was willing to pay what they were asking. Different situations like that. You'll also be able to find, um, especially on PropStream, you'll be able to filter the the, the addresses by the years that they've been owned um, or the equity that's been built in the house. All that's available on some of these websites, specifically PropStream. Um, there's a couple others, but that's just one that I know everyone can afford. It's like 100 bucks a month. But, um, so you'll, you'll, you'll want to probably use these cheaper options in order to start putting together and acquiring leads because you have to get a good stream of leads in order to find deals, right? People think that you could just wake up and be like, okay, I want to get a house. And then the lead or the deal will fall in your lap. That can happen, but it's not as common. So you want to get a, like a willing turn of leads in, and the, and the deals will just start to accumulate from there. Um, The other option is to spend, I would say, if you have a budget, you know, a couple hundred to a couple thousand low, one or two, three at the most, you could start to pay for some form of a campaign, like I had mentioned before, which is a text campaign um, or like a cold calling campaign. So in a text campaign, you would start off, send out maybe a couple hundred texts a day. First, you have to buy the list, then you have to skip trace it um skip tracing if anybody doesn't know that's like paying for the person's contact information so essentially like everyone's most people's contact information is available online if you pay for it. it's like a background check mm-hmm. so you buy a list of addresses you get them skip traced which is means you just basically pay i don't know if we covered this last time Mm-mm. all right <laughs> well let me slow down yeah. then you buy the list of addresses say i want every address in this neighborhood i buy the list um and then i pay to get it skip traced the skip trace is going to come back and give me all the possible phone numbers for the address for that for that owner and then you either text or call those possible numbers for that address text you say hey this is mike i just wanted to know if you still own that house or hey do you are you ever thought about selling that house they may respond or they may not um and then you can go from there you can ask them you know Are you thinking about selling it? Have you ever? Then you can take the lead from there. Same thing with calling. After it's been skip traced, you want to get on the phone. Uh, Most people hate it, but it is the cheapest. And well, actually, like texting is a lot more efficient if you don't have time. But uh, cold calling is more massive. Like I feel like you you do get more conversations going a lot of times. But you just get on the phone and you say, hey, uh, my name is Mike. I just wanted to know. If you still own that house or if you ever thought about selling it um, and then you just do that over and over again until someone says yeah I own it and yeah I thought about selling it and then you structure the deal from there mm. so that's the best ways to go but you just got to get a turn you you got to get a
1: revolving door of leads in order to ever get a deal get motivated yeah, make some phone calls, knock make on some, some doors, yeah. knock on the doors <laughs> yeah. too. Door knocking yeah. too. Oh, okay. that, that's the thing too. It's called drive that's a for, dollars. Driving for dollars. Yeah, yeah, a I I, not dollars. A
0: drive for dollars. I for dollars. But I didn't know. I thought you just obtained the addresses you, for and uh, then uh, like you do your own research.
1: You do you follow Thatch on uh, Instagram? Uh, he's a major flipper, wholesaler, or Who? investor. Thatch. Uh,
2: I, I do. I, yeah, 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 yeah. He I posted something
1: today, and it was like knocking on a hundred doors a day until you become a billionaire. And it was just like he's not doing that. I don't believe Hey, the conversation was simple though. said Said, you know, you're literally just asking these people, Have you thought about selling your house? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, out of how many people were you gonna ask that question? One's gonna say yes. I mean, just get motivated, pick up the phone, pick up the yeah, phone up the that feel, that I'm, that a more,
2: I'm a more of a, a phone guy, I'll get on the phone, yeah. Um, but conversation, yeah. <laughs> but when it comes to there is like, we didn't, we should touch maybe on door knocking and then driving for dollars. Right. Like, you can definitely, so driving for dollars, you get in your car. You drive around to these neighborhoods that look like they're developing, right? Maybe there's always already some flips in that area. You see construction in that area, whatever. Uh, okay. um, and you drive around you look for the houses in the worst condition because those are the ones that haven't been touched yet. Or those are the ones that need work. Or they maybe look abandoned. They just look like um, it could be a deal, like it would be a good investment property, right? You don't want to go for the houses that look good. And you don't want to drive around looking for the houses that are already for sale, Listed with a realtor. That doesn't. That's not going to be the best investment most times. So you make you compile a list of the houses that you see when you drive around, and then you got to go home and you got to skip trace it. You could skip trace it for free. There are like TruePeopleSearch.com or like Spokeo.com is pretty cheap. Um, it's not free though, but it is cheap. And then you could do the same thing that I said. Instead of paying someone else, you could do it yourself. Skip trace them. Find the contact information for the owner give them a call and do the same thing. Or you can start off with a text, say the same thing. Hey, I saw this house. Is it yours? Uh, Are you doing anything with it? You can keep it real simple. There are good scripts. If you're going to do it at a mass level, there's scripts that are involved. And then there's like, we can get into, there's block words and things, words that'll get your phone number flagged. If you send out too many of the same words, like you can't, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. You can't, you can't like send out thousand messages that say hey I'm an investor like your phone numbers will get flagged flagged. and stuff like that so there's yeah there's uh, there's keywords and stuff that if you're doing it on a mass level but if you're just starting off off your cell phone you know you won't have to worry about that too much the phone number is registered in your name it's probably been there for years so it's not something you got to worry about but yeah it's basically driving for dollars you go out find the houses get them down skip trace them and then call the person now I've seen people um, I've seen people just strictly do driving for dollars. That's like that's all they do that's They don't do fine. any type of campaigning me personally. I don't like driving that much I do like driving mm-hmm. but I don't like driving that much especially in neighborhoods. So I'm not gonna do that I did I have tried it and I have gotten plenty of leads but I never actually closed a deal driving for dollars, but i mentored a couple of other people Showed them how to drive for dollars and they closed deals. Mm-hmm. And I was like wow you guys do it better than me mm-hmm. um, it's a timing thing as well as a consistency thing. Every time I did it, I lacked the consistency. I'd be like, I don't feel like driving today. Like I'm too lazy. But the people who consistently drive and consistently compile that list in different neighborhoods across the city, they'll close the deal. Uh, Timing wise, I don't like to give timing, but I've seen people start driving today, maybe within their first 30 days of driving, which is not, you know, that's not long at all, but it is longer than most people are willing to do Um, within like their first 30 days they've talked to a couple sellers and maybe if they're good enough they've gotten a contract right so that mean that's not long but I've also seen people who drive for a couple months and never end up getting a contract
1: so there's something about that consistency though that you're like when you're talking about the whole lead sources things I mean I think like a lot of people always they put money into something they expect it to work so fast and uh, you know Just like you said, it might take someone months and they don't get anything, but you don't know really the results of something if you're not consistent with it. And so I feel like a lot of people lose out by, you know, trying this just for such a short amount of time. Oh, it's not working. You know, move on to the next thing. Cold calling, you know, they tried it for, you know, 30 days, didn't work. You know, I think if you stick to something long enough, it's going to start paying off. You know what I mean? Exactly. uh, a huge part of success in real estate is uh consistency you know that's the part that no one likes because even when you get bored you still gotta be consistent, consistent. you still gotta suit up and show up yeah that's not the pretty part it's of not, real estate it's really it's not, not at all and i but, went through you know a period of time already within the year you know where i'll have a whole like two weeks of just like you know whatever it is just weighing down on you you know and you don't want to get up you're not as motivated that week man but it's uh, you know, Stephen will always say, you know, just suit up, show up, something magic happens all the time. Something about just dressing up, getting in the office, being there, being present, it just like clicks on a light that I'm here and I'm here to do this, regardless of your mood. That makes sense. I mean, just like you in MMA, you know, yeah. if you, I'm sure there's so many days, man, you get the fight coming up that you don't want to be in there, but no, like I don't. you show up and y'all call it all the time the trenches. Yeah, you're in the trenches, and I'm sure it feels like
0: that sometimes, yeah. but that's what pays off. Yeah, it's it's. Ter- <laughs> Sometimes you just like, I, I don't, I wake up and I'm like, I don't feel like getting punched in the face <laughs> Like, I just don't. I'm like I don't know if you've ever felt like that before. I'm just like, I don't feel like getting punched in the face today. I but. missed it
1: so much, man. Yeah. I went back this past week and, uh, man, Frankie, shout out to Frankie, mm. man, dropped me in the cage. I was like, man, something about this I really missed. Uh, yeah. But, like. Man, I'm back. Like, <laughs>
0: this is rough. Yeah, bro. It's just something about that, though, bro. But I, th- but I thank you guys for coming on. Maybe, maybe we can get a part three going, th- going, going on sometime. We got. Daming and um, uh, <laughs> being a doctor somewhere, just trying to save some lives. And then Doing it all, my trying. man Garrett over here is selling about to cop these awards. I know you about to, I know you about to get the awards, bro. So don't, I I not so, even, man, I'm not even, I'm not even tripping coming. about it. But go ahead, and shout out your social media for everybody.
1: Uh, you can follow me at Garrett Smalls with a Z on Instagram. Follow me on Facebook, Garrett Small that's, uh, it. that's, that's it. it I don't do oh, anything else there's Facebook, there's Instagram that. you can catch me on Twitter <laughs> Instagram
2: uh, DNA underscore Dame DNA underscore D-A-M-E just stick to the Instagram right? oh, stick to the Instagram yeah. okay. I mean Facebook too uh, we'll just stick Let's to, stick to
0: Instagram. the Instagram then you can follow this you can follow us at Push Fed Podcast on Instagram and if you're uh, listening to this you subscribe to the YouTube and if you're watching this subscribe to all the audio stream platforms uh, Push Fed Podcast. we out we out